Hey folks, before we get to the next episode of Voices in My Head, I wanted to ask you to consider leaving a tip at my website, rickleejames.com. It's always going to be my intent to offer you this podcast for free, but the reality is that there are production costs involved. Things like recording equipment updates, domain name costs, Skype credit for guest phone calls, providing the Rick Lee James mobile app for free listening, and frankly, earning a little something for the hours of preparation it takes to bring you new podcasts every week. I know it's a tough economy, and that's why I want to keep this podcast free. But if you are enjoying the podcast and would like to swing a couple dollars my way, then come by my website at rickleejames.com, click on the tab that says Tip Jar, and leave whatever amount you feel able to give through PayPal. It's like when you're at one of my concerts and I leave a tip jar in front of the stage. Now, if you can't afford anything, please don't bother to give me a tip. And if it came down to supporting me or supporting a hungry person suffering from poverty, then by all means, give to them. But if you can, swing a few shekels my way, I'd be very grateful. That's all for now, so sit back and enjoy today's podcast. Blessings to you all. Live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head. The official podcast of Rick Lee James. I am Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. If you hear this voice today, do not turn in the window. Well, hello, listeners, and welcome back to Voices in My Head. I want to thank you very much for listening and being here today. Boy, last week was a great show. We celebrated 10 episodes, and we had Andrew Peterson on the show, and that was just one of my favorite interviews so far. But I have to tell you, as good as that was, and as great as it was talking to Andrew Peterson, this probably is uh, my favorite podcast today that you're going to hear. I got to talk with a good friend, Fred Human, who I'm not even going to give the introduction right now, because when we actually start the interview... Um, there's so much to say about Fred, and he's such a cool guy, and he has so much to say about worship and a new book that he's written called Magnify. And uh, so I'm just going to start with question of the week, and we're going to go right in the interview because the interview went just a little bit longer than we do sometimes. Um, But uh, it really is worth listening to, especially if you're a worship leader or a pastor or just somebody who cares about worship. Uh, there's going to be a lot of good stuff for you to hear that Fred has to say today. Well, getting right into our segment, our one and only segment of the show other than the interview today, it is... Question of the week. Well, all right. Question of the week this week was very simple. It was, in church, would you rather sing from a screen or... From a book. That's uh, kind of a hotly debated topic among some circles. And uh, we had, let's see, we had on Facebook, we had nine votes. We had uh, two, no, I'm sorry, nine votes for a screen. So nine people said that they would rather sing from a screen, and two people said from a book. And then we had a few explanations about that. Uh, Brian Avery Hamilton said, Hi, Brian, by the way, he used to, uh, I used to go to his church in North Carolina. he says, memory, it's better I know it than read it. And uh, I think I have to agree with him on that point. Hard to argue that. And then Tony James, my sister, she wrote in and said, actually, I would have liked to vote for both of these answers. I like the screen when I know the song, but I prefer to have music to read when I'm learning a new song. I find it very annoying to not be able to see the music when I'm learning a new song. 
But since the, most of the newer songs are not in the hymnal, the screen is pretty much the only option. I lost count of how many times you said new song, Tony, but uh, thank you for writing in and appreciate that. I agree with that one, too. And uh, Matthew Cole, who I think has answered every question of the week by writing in an answer, which I appreciate so much, says, I agree with Tony. I prefer to have both available. Mostly I see the rhythms on a new song, but if only one, definitely the screen. I'll pick up the song soon enough, and there's something communal about people's um, about people all heads up rather than each individual head down in their own little world. I like all these answers. They're great. I think if I had to answer, I'd probably say screen just because of that reason, because I like to be sharing together with everybody and not necessarily having my head in a book. But I do like to read the music when I can, even though I'm not the best sight reader in the world. But uh, that was Question of the Week. As always, you can answer Question of the Week on our Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast Facebook page. You can answer it at rickleejames.com, or you can call in to the listener line, and we will play your answer on the next podcast at 937-505-0162. And the question for next week uh, is going to be a question that if you like the Beatles, this is your question. Uh, The question is simply this. Who is your favorite Beatle? John, Paul, Ringo, or George? And, uh, you know, when you think about worship music, which is the topic today, you may not realize this, but the Beatles have had a huge influence on all music, and that includes worship music, not because they were necessarily writing worship music or even, like, spiritual music towards God necessarily, um, but because the music just was such a high influence and and high influence i didn't mean that in the way that they were always high although it seems like they probably were a lot but um anyway if any of the surviving beatles would like to come on the podcast and talk that would be great and uh i'll have you on there so paul ringo it's up to you guys if uh the other two would like to come back from the dead and talk we could do that as well well, um, I'm not going to wait any longer. Thanks for being a part of Question of the Week this week. Uh, but the interview today is really worth listening to, especially if you're a worship leader, if you have a worship leader in your life, if you're interested in the topic of worship at all. Fred Human has done a little bit of everything. He is a really neat guy with a lot of great things for the church to say. He's been working in, well, I'm not even going to give the intro because whenever I start the interview with Fred over Skype, uh, I give a great long introduction and I really make him sound good. And it's not exaggerated at all. Everything is true uh, that you hear. Fred's a great guy and I am happy to have Fred Human, and that's spelled H-E-U-M-A-N-N. Uh, Fred Human here on the podcast today, and I appreciate him being on Voices in My Head. You're in for a treat right now. Blessings. My guest today is an ordained minister who has served seven very different churches as part-time, full-time, or volunteer worship leader, and has taught and planned Hispanic worship seminars both in the U.S. and in Latin America. He's an internationally respected worship leader, speaker, and teacher with four decades of diverse experience, from the Australian outback to European cathedrals, from leading small group worship to producing major international events in over 50 nations, 
For, he has worked alongside the music industry for many years and has been a trusted music consultant for major publishing companies like Worship Together, Integrity Music, Word Music, and Thank You Music, Kingsway Worship, just to name a few. He helped develop the More Songs for Praise and Worship Planner series, the materials for WordMusicNow.com at, at Word, and was a content curator for the new Lifeway Worship Hymnal at LifewayWorship.com, assisting them in choosing today's worship songs for the digital, online, and print hymnals. He's also played a significant role in introducing the current wave of British worship music into the U.S., bringing the first Worship Together conference to the U.S. alongside Kingsway Thank You Music in 1997. There's a lot more I could say about my guest, but for now, it's my pleasure to welcome my friend, Fred Human to Voices in My Head. Hey, hey, Rick, I'd, I'd like to meet that guy. Who is he? <laughs> he sounds great, doesn't he? Well, I, I, he's, he's, I, I'm impressed. Who the heck yeah. <laughs> I, I told you it's going to be a great intro for you today. Well, I mean, yeah, it's like I'm looking around to see who's showing up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's fun to be with you. Oh, man, thank you. I really am, am looking forward. I, I was actually telling some people yesterday I, I've had – the chance to interview some great people. This is going to be actually episode number 11, and I've right. got to talk to Michael Card. I've got to talk to Andrew Peterson. I've had various authors and people, but I've actually been looking forward to this one probably more than any other so far, just because I, I just, I've got to read some of your new book, and it's just fascinating, the whole subject of worship. So Thank you. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate that. Thanks very much. That's encouraging. Well, I uh, listeners, I met Fred last year at a conference in Nashville, Tennessee. It was uh, the Song Discovery in the Round Conference, and he was kind enough to critique a song I wrote called I Lift Up My Eyes, and uh, I had a chance to experience the way that Fred works with people firsthand. Um, I left feeling so uplifted and encouraged, which is not always a feeling you get when you're sharing a song with an industry person, you know? Um, you, you, you usually walk out feeling like, does someone love me, you know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and so it was really a, a nice thing, and, and we developed a friendship through that, and I, I just so appreciated that time. So, And since then, we've we've got to meet it. Actually, uh, my wife and I got to eat Panera Bread with you one time on our way to Panera Bread, yeah, we did, yeah. And, uh, and since that time, you've actually got a new book out, and I want to talk about that. But just before we do, I want you to answer the question of the week for this week. Okay. Um, the question of the week, and, and listeners, if you're new to the show, it can be anything. It can sometimes be a serious question. Sometimes it's things as silly as who would win in a fight between Superman and Thor. Last week it was if you could take a if you had to take a no, I'm sorry. Last week's was would you rather take a cold shower that's pleasant but uh, but be clean, or would you rather take a warm shower that's you know what? I'm mixing that question all up. <laughs> the question last week. I better take a shower, actually. <laughs> the question last week was: Would you rather take a cold, unpleasant shower and yet be clean, or would you rather take a warm, pleasant shower but still be stinky afterwards? And everybody. Come up with these questions. I, I just, you know, I I lay up awake at night. I can't oh. sleep, and I just think of these stupid questions. Well, today is actually one that's a little more practical. Okay. Um, and the, and the question is: Would you rather sing music in church from a book? or from a screen? Well, um, you know, the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I know you collect hymnals, so this is going to be an interesting answer. I do, and I'm staring at stacks of them here. I mean, I've I've had some recent trips to thrift stores that have been very productive. (laughs) Uh, In Nashville especially, it's productive. Um, You know, I will say this. Depending on what you're trying to sing, the challenge with trying to read from a book and sing is that you're stuck in the book and you're, uh, you know, you spend more time saying, oh, I hope I hit that fifth because you're trying to read the music. Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe it's true for me. I'm trying to make sure I don't mess up the bass part too bad. Uh, you know, the people around me, they go, he calls himself a worship leader and a singer. Um, but the thing I love about, though, I love some things about the screen and I hate some things about the screen. The, the, the thing I love about the screen is that it gets your head up. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and that's biblical. The psalmist said, "Lift up your heads." You know, it's like you're looking to the hill. I looked up my head, eyes to the hills. Who wrote that? Um, <laughs> yeah, you're looking up toward, and and you've got a shared experience. It's not individualized all in your own little private cocoon, trying to make sure you get the part right. Um, the the thing I don't like about it is that oftentimes the guy. And bless him. Bless our tech volunteers. Uh, the guy running the the PowerPoint media shout, pro presenter, fill in the blank, um, has no sense of music or sense of where the song is. And so you're at the mercy of his, oh, i got to change the slide, yeah. <laughs> on, on top of it. And I think what we need to do to deal with that, two things. One is we need to include him as part of the worship team and make sure, even I've even challenged in my previous church, I challenged folks who are worship leaders to run the PowerPoint or run media shop because they know where it's going, where it might go. I mean, some churches have a very regimented thing. You know you're going to do all these verses in this chorus, that thing, and end with that tag, but not necessarily true in our situation. You've got to be ready to move, go with the flow. And so if you don't have somebody who's fairly on top of it musically slash spiritually, you're stuck. The last thing is the other thing I think is a problem is that people try to do well, if they've got the song programmed, it's a little easier. But when you only get one line at the bottom of the screen, sure. it may be visually appealing, uh-huh. but it gives you no context for what you've been singing. Yeah. Uh, I'm old enough to remember the cartoons that were called Follow the Bouncing Ball, <laughs> where you'd sing along and the lyrics would appear at the bottom of the screen, and literally a little ball would go from yeah. word to word. If it repeated, it bounced three times on that, you know. And it's like following the bouncing ball, and you're more concerned about that than you're not in the flow of what's happening. You forgot the last line you sang sometimes. Yeah. So, anyway, that was an overly long answer to the no, question. No, that's, that's fine. I, I appreciate because this is an audio podcast, and I try to fill space. So, you know, it's <laughs> as pretty as you like. Well, I'll waffle all day, so you'll have to... <laughs> um, you know, I, I actually listened to a podcast one time where the person being interviewed, like, answered in, in one-word answers. And, well, you know, the interviewer asked this question, and you just go, yeah. And then there was the silence, and I could just tell that the host was going, come on, would you talk some more? So, uh, now you appreciate what David Letterman and Leno do every night. Yes, exactly. Well, I, I wanted, that was actually an excellent answer, and, uh, and I know that you know all those things go through our mind, too. I think I'd have to side on the side of a screen if I'm playing guitar while I'm singing, because yeah. you know, I don't want to have my, my hands free to do that. But I do enjoy singing from a book, too. It's The answer is yes, like you said. Yeah, I think we're... 
Well, speaking of books, uh, you have a book out called Magnify, and I want the, the listeners to know that for this podcast, actually for the next little while, um, you can go to Fred's website, theworshipservice.com, and you can get $5 off of this book. So, uh, And we want to thank you, Fred, for offering that to the Voices in My Head podcast listeners. Glad to do that. Glad to do that. And uh, I want to, you know, I want you to just tell us about the book. But maybe you could start off. Um, you know, there's a, a segment in the book that you actually have up on your blog, and it's about the song "In Christ Alone." And and first, maybe just tell us what the worship, what this book is about, magnify. And then, if you wouldn't mind, just I want to hear it, kind of like we have an audio book today. If you could just read that segment of the book to us, it's, it's really wonderful. Well, thank you. I'll be glad to do that. The magnify the subtitle is 105 Modern Devotionals uh, for Lead Worshippers and Their Teams. Uh, there's a lot of devotional books out, and they're all wonderful, and we can, use, we can always use more. But this was written and this was put together primarily for worship leaders and their teams because there's so many songs, so, so many songs, so little time. Um, and, A, you want people not just to sing the song and worry about the notes. You want them to get a sense of the theology in it. And it, using this kind of material helps you, A, understand the song, hopefully, get a deeper understanding of the song, and also understand how you can use the song and some questions to help your team get their heads around the song. Um, so it's not just, oh, yeah, we got to do these five songs. I've never heard them before. What This one's in D. Okay, here we go. Um, so the whole idea was to be a training-slash-discipleship vehicle for people working with their teams. It's been fun to see people start to use them and uh, find them helpful. Um, we, we have a real challenge, and I'll, I'll finish saying it, we have a real challenge these days in discipling the people who are part of our teams and not just filling empty spaces because we need a guitarist. It's our job and our duty to be making disciples. And um, I think the songs that we use today, there's so many great songs, and they're deeper than a lot of people think, and I kind of wanted to show that as well so that people can get their brains around it and their hearts and their spirits around it. So. Mm, that's a very, very important thing. And um, I'm looking forward to, when I get my copy of this book, I want to share some of these with uh, my worship team when I'm, that I get to work with. But why don't you go ahead and share that passage of the book that's on In Christ Alone with us. Okay, and this is the In Christ Alone hymn. Not the earlier uh, CCM song, but the one by... Right, yeah. Not, <laughs> Just making not, sure. Not the Michael English performance. Oh, no, yeah, exactly right. It's a great song. Yeah. Sean Craig, I think, wrote it. But, uh, no, this is about that this modern hymn by my friend Stuart and his friend Keith Getty. So I'll read it. If your theology were only based on what you sing, what kind of theology would you have? That question put to me years ago has followed me ever since. For many years, we had battles within the church about worship choruses, quote-unquote, versus hymns. The battle had to do with a false division of heart over head and emotion over proposition, common language over lofty language, a battle that is waged in church music for centuries, psalms versus hymns, hymns versus gospel songs, etc. Actually, when we come face-to-face with truth, it has an emotional impact. We can't help but respond. Do you remember what it felt like when that special person disclosed the truth of their feelings for you? Or what happened inside you when you heard about that injustice against your neighbor? Or how it impacted you when you realized the truth of how much God loved you in spite of your sin? Remember, people may forget the main points of the sermon shortly after they walk out the door, 
but they'll be humming and singing your songs all week. Please don't tell your pastor, but it is true. And I think he realizes that, too. With that in mind, we have an obligation to pay attention to what the songs we use actually say. We need to ensure that the folks we serve have something true to think about, as well as something to respond with from the heart. We do need both. I observed a classic moment of truth evoking tremendous response the first time I led our congregation singing in Christ Alone. This song is full of incredible truth combined with the perfect melody to accent the lyric. After the first two verses, which speak eloquently of the love of Christ and of his death, the lyric paints a picture. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. When we got to the fourth line, people, many who wouldn't normally do this, began to shout, applaud, and cheer, and by the end of the verse, there was nearly universal acclamation. As if that wasn't enough, the fourth verse and its assurance of God's guiding and sustaining love left me choked up, hardly able to sing. That's powerful, and it left a lasting impression of truth on heart and mind. Uh, it was glorious, and that's worship. Um, it was really just a sidebar. It was an amazing experience to see that happen. It's the kind of thing where verses like that I can hardly read without falling apart. I was praying I didn't fall apart when I was reading that. But that's why I say I dare you to read aloud the verses to this hymn in your rehearsal without choking up. When you read them out loud, you're going crazy. Then I say things like make sure you leave some time in between. You get in between each verse. They often do that little uh, interval, that little, you know, about four-bar bridge there in between interlude and you know what you say well i've seen some people plow through it mm -hmm. it's like man there's so much stuff here you need a minute to cleanse your palate mm -hmm. and to think about what you just heard yeah. uh you know it's, uh, i sorry i should turn off my email software so that <laughs> you aren't figuring out that i get a lot of emails that i don't necessarily need um so that's that's the challenge and i think too this song has also had been done in a lot of different styles are just slightly different styles, all of which have been really uh, useful and really helpful. You've got a lot of different ways you can go with this with full orchestra, or you get a, a penny whistle and a ukulele. I don't know about a ukulele, but, you know, <laughs> you get a jump in there. You know, you can do a lot of different even with a drum loop. That's a great song for that. Yeah. Oh, man, it, it's uh, that's another mark of, you know, not just a great hymn, but of a great song is that it is very versatile and could be done a lot of different ways. And, uh, yeah, but, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that about In Christ Alone because um, I I do travel a lot, and so I get to, to lead worship at a lot of different churches, but the church that I am part-time on staff at, uh, First Church of the Nazarene here in Springfield, um, I remember the first Sunday I led that song, and um, we aren't the most, like, emotive church, you know, around, and I wouldn't say people were, were like, you know, hooting and hollering or anything, but there was a real, you know, uh, change in spirit and atmosphere as we were singing those words, and I, I remember when I got to uh, spend some time, I actually got to sing on one of uh, uh, Keith and Kristen Getty's recordings last year when I was in Nashville, All right, yeah. and, and I got to talk to him a little a bit and he was saying you know these these songs are are meant to instill confidence in the church you know and that was just thinking it's so rare to find you know songs like that that are um 
I mean, you can just really belt them out because you're just singing this truth that's just universal, and it's it's not about I, me, my. It's it's about what God has done, you know. Yeah. And just wow, I I really appreciate what you wrote there and just sharing even that experience. And I think our listeners can tell that this is a worthy book. Um, you know, if if that's any indication of the rest of the book, I mean, that's just some fantastic stuff. Well, thanks. I mean, we tried to. I mean, I crammed a lot of songs in here. There's still tons more songs out there. It's about time to start on book two. Yeah. Because, see, I, I remember, and this is another impetus for putting this together and why I feel so strongly about it. I'm, you mentioned in that rather long introduction of whoever you were introduced, <laughs> uh, that I worked on the Lifeway Worship Project, which is the online, and LifewayWorship.com is really worth your time. You need to go there. If, you don't, if you're not aware of that resource, you need to go there. But um, where's I going with that? That with... Um, Oh, they had announced it was coming out here in Nashville, and they actually had a, a report on the NPR station. And they they interviewed this woman who, unfortunately, I mentioned this in the front of the book, this woman who unfortunately had a really twangy Tennessee accent. So I'm not abusing those people. I am describing it as it happened. Uh-huh. And so this guy's asking this woman, well, how do you feel about these new modern songs in the church? She says, well, you know. I don't know, I think the hymns we grew up with were just fine. <laughs> How do we need all these new songs? He said, you know, I, I, I like the old hymns. I don't want these 7-Eleven songs. And, and I thought to myself, this is morning. I'm laying in bed. And that woke me up anyway. I'm like, 7-Eleven? What the heck? Yeah. And he goes on to say, you know them songs where you sing the same seven words 11 times over and over? <laughs> and I, I just wanted to throw the radio into the bathtub. You know, it's like, you don't get it. The, there's a need for the theology of these songs, but then you need something to respond with. Mm-hmm. You need to, to get this stuff, chew on it, and say, well, I've got to respond. And this is out of my heart. We're called to respond. With, the psalmist says, with my whole heart, I will praise you. Yeah. It's not like, well, I'm going to really understand the intellectual concepts of this great proposition and meditate on it and appreciate its wonder. It's like, yeah. wait a minute, that's not the whole person. Yeah, and it's it, it's it's all of that, you know. It's it's actually that's a term that I wasn't familiar with until I moved to Ohio about ten years ago, and really? you know, very much stepped into a church that was still in the middle of the worship wars battle that you described, uh, you know, in some yeah. blogging, and uh, and it was like, what's a Seven Eleven song? And they were that was exactly what they meant, and they just couldn't stand the repeating and. And uh, and I I thought you know you you can take that to an extreme, but the idea, like you said, we want to create some space and some room to actually move and respond to something. And um, one thing that I think is kind of beautiful that I, I think our our people where I'm serving um, are getting used to and are starting to like a little more. You'll have a song like um, like Arms Open Wide that will just have kind of a little part. You know, before the chorus, it's just kind of, oh, you know, and it's kind of like you're you're singing, oh, and there's not really much there, but you've just sung, you know, about opening your heart and your life. And to me, it almost feels like, you know, where Scripture talks about the, the spirit interceding and, and the way that, you know, your your words are not really enough at that point sometimes. So it's not always just about, you know, the intellectual nature alone, like you said. I really appreciate that. Well, I, yeah, thanks. I think the your point about that OOO is really well taken. We need to teach people, uh, our congregations, what the purpose of repetition is. I remember a class on, I think it was my, in English in high school, advanced English, 
in Toledo, Ohio, where I went to high school. And uh, or as people call it up here, doodly do. Doodly do. Well, yeah, there's a good reason for that. Um, anyway, uh, the we we studied these original ballads, these ballad poems, and th they kept repeating the same chorus. And it's like, well, this is stupid. Why do they keep saying the same chorus? But the teacher described what's called incremental repetition. In other words, every time you hit that chorus, you've sung another verse in between. Mm -hmm. And how you view that chorus is changed by what's in that verse. Mm. And so the more you do it, the more different aspects you get, the more you draw out of it. I think we do people a disservice by not telling, teaching them that, no, you know what, this, is, this isn't just a guitar solo, and we need to appreciate the guitar solo. Yeah. But we're giving them a chance to express their worship, and we need to not just say, sit back on our heels and go, hey, man, cool patch, or rock on. Yeah. But let that engage in worship and don't be passive. Be engaging, because people who think it's too many repetitions because they're not engaging. They're saying you need to tweak my you know nose so that I'll worship. You need to make me worship, uh, and it's your job to to get me to do that when we're supposed to bring an offering of praise uh, ourselves. I, you know, I I get really t I, I I have no time for people who have that issue. But we need to. I do have time for it, but it just frustrates me. Yes. We need to teach them that, and they'll understand why repetition. You can go too far, no question. It's like by the 30-second time you're going, maybe move on. But you know what? <laughs> Sometimes if God's in it, if we just repeat to try to think we're going to create a spiritual atmosphere, no. But if God's doing something, you need to not stop. <laughs> you need to stay engaged. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting thing to teach. And I, I'm glad you mentioned, like, about the guitar solo, or, you know, it could be, like you said, there's the, uh, you know, the in-between verses of In Christ Alone, where we do have, you know, a lot of times a flute or a penny whistle or something will do kind of a little musical interlude. And, you know, we've we've been real bad in our culture about, not embracing the arts as a way to worship God, and it's 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 sad to me because, um, I mean, I practiced really really hard to learn how to play guitar, or when I learned how to play piano, and I really wanted when I played to God, you know, for God to be glorified, and and if you do it tastefully and right, um, you know, even instrumental music can be something that's so glorifying. You know, without that, Lincoln Brewster wouldn't have a career. You know, you think about his his amazing guitar work. And yet, at the same time, there's something that, when it's given over to God, it's something very worshipful. And just like our voices are an instrument, our instrumentation can very much be an instrument, too. And, and I still feel that sometimes, depending on the congregation that I'm ministering in at the time, I can feel very conspicuous, you know, if I'm doing like a guitar solo or something, because I feel like they're going, well, that's not worship, that's entertainment, you know, or whatever. And for, for one thing, you know, in the church, we're not that entertaining, let's just be honest. But, <laughs> well, I don't know. You know? <laughs> that's not quite but, meant, but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, you haven't read bulletins lately, have you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yes, you're right. There are some entertaining things that happen, but, but I guess my thought about that is, you know, the the world, on an entertainment level, if we're trying to entertain, the world does it a lot better, you know, when you think about it. But worship is something altogether different, or it should be if it's done right. And um, there, there, it is okay to make some space and to have some moments for, you know, some instrumental worship and praise. And it even gives, 
our hearts a chance to respond while somebody is playing that, you know? Yeah, and just because it's good doesn't mean it's not spiritual. And just because it's bad doesn't mean it is spiritual. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's the heart and attitude of the person. There are times, now I, I'm blessed to live in the Nashville area where we have astounding musicians, but there are times with my teams, I know I've got these brilliant musicians and I know they need to worship. I'll let them go. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, I'll follow them. Yeah. Let them take off there because I know it's not just a hey. I just learned this cool lick. Yeah. It's I want to express myself and they need to. Yeah. And you can tell the difference. You know, you can really tell the difference between somebody who's wh- where the glory's going is not determined by how wh- how good they're playing. Sure. You know, that's too good. You know, just glorifying yourself. That was uh, indulgent. You're going, yeah. hey, the the. Uh, the Psalms are the New Testament talks about lavishing. The Lord lavished his love on us. I think we need to lavish some praise on him. Yeah. yeah. You, 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 what's wrong? Uh, you know, doing, it took me, uh, let's see, three weeks to learn this part, you know, or whatever. But I did it for God. What's wrong with me doing it for God? You know, it's, it's work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and what is worship other than the work of the people? So yep. there you go. Um, I, I do want to, I don't want to get too far away from the book because I do want to kind of highlight that and while we're talking um and the subtitle once again was 105 um modern worship devotionals for lead worshipers and their teams modern worship devotionals for lead worshipers and their team i i really like that this particular devotional book is actually geared at people who are are uh, doing the work or in the trenches so to speak um, you know, I, I don't find a lot of those, and I'm always looking for something when I'm leading devotionals with the people that I'm on a team with. I'm, I'm trying to find something to, you know, inspire and challenge the hearts of the leaders, you know, and that's really fantastic that you've written that. Tell me um, kind of what went into helping you pick these songs specifically for this book, like these choices. Well, the, uh, th- this is actually part a compilation from two previous things I'd done in another format. So, so that's if truth in advertising is that, but I was also a part of choosing those songs at that time. Uh, plus, the, we put some new songs in there to kind of bring it a little bit more current. Not as many as I'd like, but that's why there's going to be a book too. Um, these were songs that a the church was using or ought to be using. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know? And they have some they have some background biblically and uh, and scripturally as opposed to just Psalm 150. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, which is where, which is unfortunately, which which is all you can put on a lot of the songs we think are ultra spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, the the idea was to choose songs that the church was using or ought to be using that had some currency across the board when we originally chose these songs. Had some currency across the board of a wide variety of evangelical churches uh, to represent that and uh, give them some. Uh, stuff to help them plan. Can can uh, you name just a few of those songs, just so our listeners will know which ones you? Oh my goodness, uh, a greater song which I love. All the earth will sing your praises. I'm just reading through the list. Amazing grace, my chains are gone. Uh, beautiful one, better than life from uh, uh, yes, Israel Houghton. Uh, Days of Elijah, uh, everlasting God, famous one. Give us clean hands, friend of God. Hallelujah, your, your love is amazing. He reigns, which is a great song. Mm-hmm. I, uh, here I am to worship. Here's our king. How can I keep from singing? I need the Father's love. Hungry. You can see it on theworshipservice.com, but Jesus Messiah, made to worship. Um, great songs. Yeah, my Savior, my God. I mean, there's no slouches in here. In no. fact, there were some that were in the original collections that I thought, 
nope. <laughs> you know, we did pretty good at picking them, but it's like looking back, you're going, nope, that shouldn't have been in there. No, yeah. that shouldn't have been in there. <laughs> so these, interestingly enough, I hadn't planned on this, but when I looked at the list and then added some things to it, realized that all of these songs are currently and still within the top 2,000, or top 1,000, I think. Yeah, and that, that's, so, that's amazing. I, I think... You know, I think there's a couple things that dictates why a song becomes popular. Sadly, I think sometimes it's because it's trendy and sounds good. But the other reason, and the ones that really last and stay with you, are the ones that, not just with you, but with the church, I think, are the ones that really hold a lot of truth and are, you know, written not, it's it's about somewhere I think lyrically where it intersects with the human and the divine both, you know, where it meets in those moments and you're showing some real truth and it connects with the heart. And that's why you look at like the CCLI top 100 and you'll see like, uh, you know, a song like he touched me has been on there for, you know, how many decades or something, (laughs) you know, things like that. Or, or, uh, you know, amazing grace has just not gone away, you know, and, um, you know, I try to think how many years, how great is our God has been on there now, you know, at number one or two and not. Well, actually it's been interesting. That's part of a phenomenon that's only been recent. Uh, because it hasn't been on there that long, but it rocketed mm-hmm. to the top. And I, there's a couple of different reasons to it. And then not to be too cynical, obviously, when people find a great song, the companies that own them understand what it takes to get it out to the church and get people to to hear it. And there's tons of people going to those passion conferences. But just introducing a song at a passion conference doesn't mean it's going to be used in the church. Sure. These the people have a better chance of hearing it and deciding. So you get a great song and you put it in that context. A great song with something that that's current, that's often saying what God is speaking at that time. It's got music that's accessible and congregational and uh, and has a key truth that God wants to emphasize. It can go up there very quickly. Uh, others of these songs gradually come up. It usually takes about two years for stuff to get realized uh, in the na- on the national scene that way. But uh, when God's doing something, it's always amazing to see, and I wish I had a great example right here, but I don't. It's always amazing to see all of a sudden songs come out that all say the same thing, but these people never talked to each other about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. say, hey, I'm going to write a song about, well, yeah. you know, oh, this is all, we've got 12 songs on Jesus wept. Look at that. You know, what's this about? God, God often will touch people in the same way in different countries all at the same time, and all these songs come up at once. Uh, I was going to make one other statement. It's very interesting because, you know, you and I met over your songs, and, uh, you know, we want songs to be good. We want people to be better at their craft. And we want to be smart about what helps people worship. We don't want to chain them, you know, give them a, an iron chain around their neck with the song. We want to give them wings. Uh, but it's very, a lot of times, there are songs that come out that defy those principles, yet God touches them anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, and what's with that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I work real hard on this song, and it doesn't, and and, I, and I'm anointed. How come nobody's doing my song? Exactly. You know, sometimes God just breathes on something. Yeah. Uh, classic example, and I'm over talking. Sorry. Oh, all right. Um, classic example. We did a lot of work. Uh, you know, you mentioned all that traveling that I had done, and spent a lot of time in schools in the Commonwealth, in Britain, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. Uh, and a friend from Australia was here several years ago, right after we moved to Nashville. And he, uh, this is 
1993, okay? So he came over. He was in town for something, so he came over to our house, and we were having dinner. We just moved into town. And before we go, he said, Freed. And I said, I was in zealous. I won't try to do an Aussie accent. I'll get in trouble. (laughs) Um, uh, (laughs) G'day, Freed. You ought to listen to this album. My church did it, you know? It's it's an okay song. You ought to listen to this. So I've, I've played this for everybody in town, and nobody... Is interested, and I thought, well, that's interesting. Let's put it in. And I listened to the first couple of songs. It's kind of Motowny, uh-huh. and it went on, and it's kind of fun. And I get to the last song, and I thought, oh gosh, it's just the, the lyrics aren't original. The melody's kind of awkward. Oh, why would they put the modulation halfway through the song? And oh, I suppose it'll work. It's okay. You know what that song was? No. Shout to the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And everybody in town had turned it down. Wow. But see, that's the kind of thing that defies a lot of the quote rules, but it just was it was its time. Huh. God was wanting to breathe on something that was happening in the Hills District in, in North Sydney, uh and uh, the, the struggle and the hassles that church had been through. And God breathed on it. Now, they've had to be good stewards of that since then. And, and they've had some good things and some not-so-good things. They continue to pull out great stuff. But that was kind of, that wasn't the first, probably the third Hillsong album. Yeah. Uh, but that song, I thought, ah, eh, it's kind of schmaltzy. Right. And now who doesn't know that song? You know? Yeah, and, and now it's become a cliche, you know. Yeah. Now, please, let's move on to another song. Give it, give it a break. But, yeah. But, but Dar- I mean, Darlene's amazing. And it's, and it's an ama- when, you under- when you understand the background of the song and what God was doing in the church at that time, you kind of know why it got breathed on. Mm. Uh, and Darlene has been a friend. who's actually stayed in our home. So I'm not slamming you, Darlene. That was just my stupid evaluation. about <laughs> to be one of the major songs of the 20th century. So. What, well, what? And and you know you thought my song really good was really good and it's gone nowhere so I don't know what that says about your judgment but you know <laughs> so, not for uh, lack of trying no 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 that's that's a good story though that's a really good example well I want to just hit a couple things about the book and I want to move on because uh, I, I don't want to take advantage of your time today but um, this book uh, magnify you guys need to check it out once again you can go to the worshipservice.com and get five dollars off this book. Uh, Liberty University Center for Worship actually chose this book as a textbook for their courses this year. So um, it's really some good, solid stuff. And if you're wondering, uh, you know, maybe it's past your appreciation time, you're going to roll it around in a few months, and you wonder, what can I get the worship leader in my church? Well, maybe this book is a good idea for them. Well, that's very kind. I would say one thing. People look at it and go, really, it costs that much? What we tried to do was put it in a format that it's the kind of book you can use for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, these songs can use so when you got a hundred songs in there, you know that's two a week for that's one a week for two years. You know you can be using this for quite a while. Sure, right. That's so we tried to make it in a format that people could use. It's got full lyrics to the songs uh, in there, and hopefully the right lyrics. Oftentimes you go to lyric sites, and they're just goofy <laughs> <laughs> and they're illegal. And we got basic clearance from the publishers to do put full lyric pages in there so you got the lyrics on one side and the the devotionals on the other so 
Well, that's great. I, I really think everybody's going to benefit from checking that book out. And I do have something that maybe will lead us into the, the next discussion, but um, you made a little note at the end of that, that passage about in Christ alone, and uh, you had said, you know, just just don't tell them it's a hymn, you said. <laughs> uh, and it's interesting because depending on your context, you know, I serve in a context where often I have to, like, emphasize it is a hymn or nobody wants to sing it you know oh yeah 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 and it's very interesting that i i'd like to pretend sometimes that that battle is over that's been raging for so long between you know the hymns the 7-eleven songs whatever and i'd like to call it just worship but unfortunately i think you know post-modernity is is just now hitting some places you know (laughs) and and we're we're into this this old battle and you know there's parts of the country that i've been to to speak and play music and they're still fighting the battle over the King James Bible, you know. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and I think I think that you know I, I feel like the battle between hymns versus other types of music in church is going to go down in history as one of those moot point things because eventually we're going to figure it out together and we're going to realize, hey, this is stuff for God, you know. And a hymn is actually it just means a song of praise, if I'm not mistaken, you know, a song towards God directed to Him and. We want to do it rightly, but uh, but speaking about you know people who are modern hymn writers, and I really do feel like a lot of our our modern worship songs that are coming out, they have a different style, but I do feel like of them have a lot of good you know what I would call hymn like quality to them. And you just mentioned the Gettys, uh, and you had a chance this past year, I think it was last July, when the National Worship Leaders uh, Conference happened, right. And um, you were working with Kingsway Music, and they put out an album called Love Divine, the Songs of Charles Wesley for Today. And uh, you made a special presentation with with people like Tim Hughes and Brenton Brown, Chris McClarney, Katie Gustafson, and John Hartley. And um, could you tell us a little bit about that experience and and what made it come about? Well, uh, there's uh, just a little backstory. Uh, the The album actually had been done a couple of years ago in Britain. Uh, new settings for the anniversary. Is it the 300th anniversary of his birth, I think, of Charles Wesley's birth? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Charles Wesley, you know, you know this because you are a Wesleyan. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> as, as, as am I. But people don't realize that Wesley wrote, well, he published 6,500 hymns, wow. wrote probably closer to 8,000. Wow. And... Uh, these were songs that were that defied they may have been called hymns because that's all they knew to call them but actually these were worship song hymns or hymn worship songs you know hymns and worship songs are two sides of the same coin and the coin's a counterfeit you know it's like that exactly it's uh, you make a false dichotomy these were songs that that were designed to disciple people but they came out of personal experience so they were as experiential and as encounter with God focused as they were didactic in terms of teaching moral lessons or spiritual lessons. He couldn't separate the two. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this album was done in the UK, and then they redid it for the US market. Um, and it, it's the perfect statement for what actually I think is happening in the country today. You mentioned the hymn worship song thing. And yeah, some people are still catching up to post-modernity. But I think what we're discovering is that the people who... Uh, grew up in the kind of tradition you and I may have, at least the more contemporary tradition, 
who, who, who thought, oh, finally we can express our hearts to God and I don't have to get lost in words. I, can, I have all this background to having sung all these heavy words and this great doctrine, but now I can just express my heart. But what we've forgotten is the people who were born in this current era, mm-hmm. they don't have that background. Yeah. All they have are these simple songs or these more, uh, you know, popular song mode uh, worship songs that are very expressive and essential. But all of a sudden, there is a total rehearkening back to what I'm calling, well, the, to hymns. And there's a, a whole modern hymn movement that is happening all over the country. So this was kind of an attempt to address that, although these are not modern hymns. They're modern resettings mm-hmm. of uh of Charles Wesley hymns, so most of which are familiar, others which are not as familiar, depending on your background. Uh, and uh, it just unlocks them for the new century. It's been it's phenomenal. So we did a whole thing with several, several of the artists who sang on the project, and I kind of taught in between and talked about fun facts with Charles, from Charles Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a Saturday morning thing on kind of fun facts with Charles Wesley. <laughs> that's, that's, I ripped that off from Letterman. <laughs> he always said fun facts. <laughs> wacky and strange and bizarre and hilarious. These were not quite that, but we kind of did little bits and pieces because people don't recognize uh, the, the heritage that's there. Um, we need both modern and I think See, the truth is, as I said, and this is maybe a theme for this broadcast, and that's they need both. Yes. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) You know, you've got to have the theology, and you've got to have the opportunity to respond to theology. So this is kind of fulfilling that need. So that was the thing, and we did it last summer at uh, at National Worship Leader Conference. What was interesting is that then at the end of the year, Worship Leader Magazine named it in the top 15 worship resources for the year. That's great. Yeah, some great songs. And there are some good tunes with some very, you know, very talented artists on there. And I'm I'm glad you mentioned about we need both. And I I kind of liken it sometimes, you know, our our diet in church of music of I, I relate it to actually our real diet like our food. Yeah. I know. And and the reason I say it, I can I can appreciate it all the more right now because for the season of Lent I I felt impressed that I needed to do a fast and I just thought well what what can I do so I decided well I'm just going to go to the book of Daniel and try oh, yeah. to try to do his fast so I've been trying to do that so basically it's like fruits and vegetables and nuts and that's about it you know there's no sugars there's no um, you know bread or anything that you know we would call comfort or like pleasant food yeah. and while that may be actually really healthy for you and, and it's actually been kind of a good spiritual practice I didn't even realize there was like a book out about the Daniel you know I'm a trendsetter and I didn't know it but yeah. uh, anyway what I'm finding through that is like boy I can't wait till Easter comes because I really would like to have you know a piece of cake or something you know or uh, it'd be nice to it'd be nice to have a, a piece of meat or you know something like that again and I think that you know so often if if you all you have is candy and worship um you're just going to be a sappy sweet person but you're going to be out of shape you know and if if all you have is just the real only the healthy, you know, whatever, let's call it the Daniel Fast stuff, you're going to be kind of a, a dry person as well, you know, and there really is that is that need for both in our worship, I think, to make us whole people, because we are whole people, and yep. God saves us that way. So Absolutely. And I just to, to talk about real fast, 
when you got to speak at the Worship Leaders Convention, your that particular seminar was one of the more attended ones, I think, there, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. We were we were in the second largest venue and it was full to the gills, people standing at the back. Partly because you know, the people who were there not they didn't come to hear me. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. and I, I think probably when they saw that they were the songs of Wesley too, I, I think there is kind of a thirst for that and, and if nothing else, I mean there is depth in, in the music that Wesley wrote. And you you've just done some uh, pretty, you know, some research on the song Over a Thousand uh, Tongues, and uh, I wonder if you could share with us some of that while we're on the Wesley subject. Okay. Well, here's the, here's the first interesting, first fun fact about Over a Thousand Tongues, well, is that it was written on the anniversary of his conversion. Oh, wow. One year after he came to personal faith, after having been a failed minister, missionary, <laughs> and everything wow. else. Uh, he was 30-ish, prob- or just turning 30, uh, and a year later, the song showed up in a, when it was in the hymnal, yeah, it was 30 years old, it was Pentecost Sunday. Huh. When he when he came to faith, it was Pentecost Sunday, so a year later, he wrote this song, and there wasn't, they didn't really, they kind of started the, told the song, delineated the songs by the first line, they didn't always have titles, but this one had a little name at the top, and it was called For the Anniversary of One's Conversion. Huh. Uh, but the interesting thing, the most interesting thing is what we know is Over a Thousand Tongues is actually about five or seven verses out of 18. Oh, wow. 18. <laughs> and talk about, uh, you know, you think you think modern worship songs go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's, that is the ironic thing, because... You know, the older the hymn, it seems like the longer it is. It does go on and on and on. Well, it's more like a poem, but when you read those verses, and you can find it, I think even in the most current Methodist hymnal, or you can, I wish, maybe we can make it available. I can send you a file, and you can make it available to your listeners or something. But the the when you look at the verses, it's like the most amazing. You can't read that without weeping. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it... Uh, one of the things I did as part of that event was read all the read the verses before Over a Thousand Tongues, then they sang the new version of Over a Thousand Tongues, and then I read the verses after. Hmm. And when you understand the context, you get a totally different idea of the hymn. Yeah. It 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 blew me away. Again, it almost it totally parallels Psalm forty, uh, verses one to three, uh, where uh, where's my yeah, you know, where he, he's, the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. That's like the first six verses of the hymn. Yeah. Then uh, Psalm 40, verse 3, it says, He put a new song on my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. That's the hymn we know, mostly, although we don't always sing all the verses in that section. And then the last section of the hymn, Psalm forty. It also relates to Psalm 40, verse 3b. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. He likes this. I was in this position. Then I came to Christ. Now I've got more than enough reason to worship. And now, even though I'm a minister, I I realize I'm no better than any of you. I'm no better than the vilest sinner. But we can all come to Christ. Don't you want to do that? Hmm. So with that context, you realize why he was so excited about worshiping God (laughs) in that little section. It's amazing. it's it was phenomenal. It was such a fun thing, and they actually paid me to do it. I like that. <laughs> That's really good. Uh, well, it was, 
It's very, very cool. So you need to look up, if you can get the most recent Methodist hymnal, the original first verse starts with the phrase, glory to God and praise and love. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's, man, I have to look that up now. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah, you've you know, got to look it up. I, I think about the, you know, the way that a lot of modern songs, I, I when I was in college, which I, I started college in 95, and, and in that time, um, some of the stuff coming out like on Christian radio and that we tried to sing in church, it was, I felt like a lot of it at that time was geared at, again, the trendy versus what actually was meat. And I don't know how this got passed, and it, it didn't stay on the radio for long, but there was a song they were pushing in Christian bookstores for a while. And the lyrics said this on the chorus, You have Jesus on your side. I know he'll make your dreams come true the way you want them to. Ooh. Yeah. And I and I thought, that is like, I don't know any Christian even that agrees with, you know, that. I mean, maybe there are some. Maybe there's, uh, you know, this branch of people that, you know, whatever you want, Jesus will give you. But I, I think of that, you know, in the context now thinking of like these things that Wesley was writing out of a true authentic experience that was surrendered over rather than, you know, Jesus is my genie type thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. And there's, there's just such a depth there that I, I think the church needs to revisit. And that's why I appreciate so much your writing and your book. And I've been enjoying reading a lot of your blog entries and things. And Well, so. I mean, it's, it, I think Wesley is the perfect person for this era. Because it's not just platitudes. There are a lot of great hymns out there, but some of the, nothing, not all of them ring with the truth of experience. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we sometimes are taught to be dismissive or suspect of experience. Mm-hmm. Yet that's how we learned God. They didn't, God didn't send a book of propositions. He sent his son. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And he didn't send us a systematic theology. He walked on the earth for three years and taught people and had personal interaction with them. Yes. And Wesley's hymns are so fresh because it's like, you know, well, the, the song he wrote the week after his conversion was And Can It Be. <laughs> wow. So it's like, yeah, shabby way to start. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get better, son. Keep yeah. trying. So. <laughs> you know, Fix this chorus, get rid of this verse, move that one around there. Um, but the point is, it's not just, oh, look, God's so great and amazing. It's like, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain? Yeah. For me, you know, it's it's application of that truth. Yeah, and, yeah, just, wow, well, it's, it's, it almost leaves me speechless when I go through the songs of Wesley and, I, I really, one thing I appreciated about when I studied at a Nazarene school, um, one of many things actually I can appreciate about it was um, we, we learned what was called the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which I don't know if Wesley would even know what that was, but you know, <laughs> the idea of you know our understanding of things needs to come from scripture, reason, tradition, but also experience, you know, and it's it's those things working together in concert that really help us to to know what is authentic and true and, and even in our experiences with God and and not just you know as my pastor would say the fumes on your cornflakes in the morning, you know. <laughs> Now, real quickly, and we've got to wrap this up because we've been talking almost an hour, and I so appreciate your time, but um, I I want to ask your opinion on something because this is a debate that I've had for a while. Um, People are always saying that um, Wesley wrote songs from bar tunes of the day. 
And my, I want to know your thoughts because I'll tell you my, my personal thought about it on the matter is I think that's a false statement taken out of context. Um, and, and I, and I'll tell you why, but I want to hear your, what your thoughts are on it before I tell you mine. <laughs> well, a, a, I've heard the same thing. Actually, it was more Luther that they got accused of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even Wesley too. Here's, here's the first thing that makes it kind of a non-issue mm-hmm. is that Wesley didn't write tunes. Right. <laughs> he wrote lyrics. Well, that makes it an honest <laughs> uh, You know, his sons uh, went on, uh, it was Charles Jr. and Samuel Wesley, or I mean, it's been the third because his dad's name was Samuel. Um, they went on to be composers. Hmm. Uh, but pretty much, I don't think, and I may miss, the Wesley scholars out there may just may clarify this. I don't think we have any hymn tune that Charles Wesley wrote. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it does. we can go so far as to say none of the tunes we sing with his lyrics today were tunes that were originally sung to those lyrics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some people say, well, you can't. It's like a friend who shall remain nameless, but he knows who he is. <laughs> uh, when I first brought this British project to him before they did the U.S. version, uh-huh. we played it for him, and he'd been around. He'd been in Christian music and church work for a long time, and we played the version of "And Can It Be." And after we, you know, stopped the, the recording, he said, "Well, why would anybody want to sing that tune when the original's just fine?" And I went, "No, you don't understand. This is not the original. <laughs> this tune, actually, that tune, "And Can It Be," came." I think came in the 40s, 30s or 40s. It got applied to that, uh, to, to that, those lyrics. So he didn't, you know what? Tunes are tunes, mm-hmm. and you need to find something that works and what people would know. It is true that Wesley worked in the streets and he got in trouble. Both Wesleys worked in the streets and they got in trouble for that. That was just not the done thing, mm-hmm. but he took it to the people. So I wouldn't surprise me if a familiar tune that worked with the meter of the song sure. would be applied. I, I don't think there's a problem with that. Yeah, and that's that's kind of where I come from on it too. Is just the you know the fact that he he wasn't writing like song parodies. You know that was, <laughs> you know that was the I think that's the misconception that people have today. Not just him, but like you said, Luther and a lot of different people. Like I, I always hear people say, "Well, he wrote from bar tunes," and they they want to use that as justification for you know in the church. Let's let's become as much like the world as we can, so that we can win people. And I'm thinking, well, we we got to look at context a little bit and understand where we're coming from. You know, this, that's right. Yeah. And we have to remember too that those songs, just like I said in that devotional earlier, this kind of brings it around full circle. Uh, that people are going to the tunes will stick to them um, more than the sermon points will. Not that the sermon points are important, but I still know scripture from songs I sang that had scripture in them. Yeah, very true. And and so you put a tune to it that people can sing and and they will remember that fits their experience or their understanding. In other words, if you give me this microtonal, uh, you know, or this, uh, what's the, is it Mongolian, the Tuvan throat singing tune? I'm not going to remember that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or some microtonal Chinese thing. It's not not something within my realm of experience. It won't help me remember it. But a hooky, Celtic-y kind of, melody like in Christ Alone has means that lyric will stay with me for the rest of my life because it it gave me something to hang it on. Wow. Uh, and so that's important. 
Well, that is very important. And, and well, Fred, I, I'd love to have you back again sometime. I feel like we're just scratching the surface with some stuff. Uh, I want to make sure if, if someone wants to contact you, we've mentioned your website, which is theworshipservice.com, and, and I believe your blog is fredhuman.com. And that's uh, you don't spell it like a human being. It's H-E-U-M-A-N-N. So that's, that's correct. If you're a musician, I usually say it's like Neumann microphones, only with oh, an H. Right. Okay. If you're not, you have to figure out how to spell it. That's right. But if you go, the, maybe the easiest way to take you there is just go to theworshipservice.com, and that's a real easy way to remember and, and go to that. Um, but once again, check out that book and, and buy a copy of it. And if you don't want it for yourself, if, uh, give it to your worship leader. I think it's going to be a great um, a great tool for worship leaders all over the country. I really do. So um, anything else you'd like to say, anything about, um, you know, if people have a question for you or want to contact you in some way, is, is there any way that you'd like to? The easiest way probably is there is an email link on, on the worshipservice.com, uh, and, I can, uh, and I'll answer the emails that way. Um, I, the, the blog is kind of spotty, and so I need to get back on the blog. This is, a, this is a, an impetus to do so. So check out some of those things. Comment, respond. If if I if uh, you know and subscribe, that'd be even cooler. And I promise I'll be a little bit more regular. I will mention as well that Love Divine is worth checking out. Uh, I, I love the people who helped write the songs, but I love the songs because it does just what I said. Those melodies ought to do. It gives you a new way to hang those lyrics in a way that you might retain them as no other. Um, and I think the if you go to Kingsway Worship, there may be a link. It's kingswayworship.com or it's kingswayhub.com slash ecard slash love divine. Kingswayhub.com slash ecard slash love divine. If that doesn't work, it may be ecards. I just didn't have a chance to check it out. Sure. Uh, but you can get some downloads of that and see it. I, I'm a strong believer in that project. I get no money from it. Uh, I wish I did, but it's... Um, it's well worth hearing, and even hear some other verses, some of the other verses to over a thousand tongues that are there. Not all of them are. Not all eighteen are on that recording. <laughs> you have to find that elsewhere. But <laughs> that's great. Well, Fred, it has been a real pleasure, and we're going to stop the recording right about here. But thank you so much for being with us on Voices in My Head today. Glad to be one of those voices in your head. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can tell that I'm a man of my word, and I was not lying when I said Fred Human had some great things to say. Make sure to go to his website, theworshipservice.com, and get that book for $5 off from Voices in My Head podcast. We're very grateful for him lowering that rate for us this week. Great gift for pastors, worship leaders, and just anybody who is passionate about worshiping the Lord. Uh, great gift for Christmas, birthdays, whatever. It's got some good stuff, so make sure you check that out. Thank you again to Fred for being on the show. I'm going to close this uh, episode actually by playing the song that led me to meet Fred in the first place. Last year I was in Nashville at a songwriter's conference, and uh, he was kind enough as a representative of Kingsway Music to listen to this song. It's off of uh, my album, Changes. The song is I Lift Up My Eyes. And just to let you know, if you go to rickleejames.com, you can find links uh, to get chord charts for this song. 
You can also go to cdbaby.com, and right now, if you go to cdbaby.com, put in Rick Lee James, you can get any one of my albums in digital form for only four ninety nine. That's about a $5 discount from iTunes and anywhere else on the internet right now. Uh, that's even cheaper than what I'm able to sell them for on the road, so make sure and check those out. Until next time, when we get to episode 12... This has been Voices in My Head. I'm your host, Rick Lee James, and I really appreciate you being here with us. Make sure and drop me a line. Let me know what you think about the show. Answer question of the week. Maybe leave an iTunes review. Love to hear from you. And if you call the listener line, we'll, be make, sure, uh, we'll make sure to get you on the next show. Thank you. Bye. Save me, O God, from lying tongues. I've lived too long with those who have no love, so I lift up my eyes. Where does my Yeah.
my eyes Where does my help come from? My help comes from you Maker of earth and heaven You've been listening to Voices in My Head the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. You can also download my free mobile app from iTunes and on the Android Marketplace. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows. You can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.